0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other LifePoint Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. A lot of our college students are at the Chi Alpha Fall Retreat. And I want us, before we dive into the Word, to pray over our college students in the Chi Alpha Ministry. Specifically Chi Alpha Fall Retreat is the event of the year 13 years ago when i was a sophomore in college the trajectory of my life was was completely transformed out of fall retreat going into that retreat i was an introverted insecure engineering nerd and uh, i came out of that retreat uh, God just getting a hold of my heart. There's a group of us students, our Chi Alpha was maybe 40 or 50 students, and there's a group of us that just began to seek the Lord. We'd get up well before our 8 a.m. calculus classes, and we just began to seek the Lord. We began to believe that God wanted to use us, just me. I, I wasn't qualified, but uh, there's a bunch of us that began stepping out in faith and allowing God to use us, and this campus ministry just exploded in a good way. And 500, 600 students began packing out this theater twice a week, and that's continued to grow Uh, well beyond my time there. But I I really trace that story back to a Chi Fall retreat. I believe so much can happen in a weekend like this. So I feel like how cool would it be if we as a church, we rally behind the college students and pray for a move of God in our day amongst our college students. Really even just a handful of students experiencing the heart of God can transform the trajectory of a campus. So let's pray that right now. God right now as a church, we just rally around in prayer around our college students that you've bless this church with you you've allowed them to call this church their this church their home uh, away from home and we just thank god for that and lord i pray this weekend there would be something kindled there would be something sparked uh that the enemy in this world can never put out it'd be a heart after you that contends for your your work on this campus and well beyond that lord it would change the trajectory of their career in in the marketplace the way they see their callings on their lives. Uh, the, the future families, Lord, trajectories would be impacted and changed this weekend, and it would last. The fruit of this weekend would last well beyond weeks or months, but it would be years of harvest as a result of this weekend. I pray it in your mighty name, and we just pray over this next, these next few moments in your word that you'd speak to us, Lord. Wake up our cold hearts, our hard hearts, to see you more clearly. To see your word and your truth more clearly and the implications in our lives, we pray in your mighty name. Amen. I'm going to move this to the side so I don't kick the communion elements. That would be bad. Awesome. So, Romans chapter 12. This morning, we're going to start a new series called Lifestyle Christianity. We've said it in different forms and fashions in this church that we believe the good news is so good that it should impact and influence our way of life. That word lifestyle literally means way of life. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus, should influence the way in which we live. So we're going to talk about this the next number of weeks in multiple multiple different facets, but specifically my message this morning is called Monday Matters. That's right, Monday Matters. You heard it, tomorrow morning matters. God didn't come to just save a day of the week, one day a week. He didn't come to build a building. He didn't come to just start a few holidays in our calendar year. He came to redeem your Monday as well. Monday morning, presence of God right there. He, he, he purchased something special that translates even to your Monday morning. I don't want us to talk about that. Because Monday... Monday is the essence of regular life, the stuff of life, that which is normal. You could call Monday kind of mundane. I have not, I have yet to met, meet anybody that has said, thank goodness it's Monday. You know, there's kind of highlights throughout the week, Wednesday's the hump and Friday. Everyone's saying, thank goodness it's Friday. There's restaurants named after their songs. Thank goodness it's Friday. And who doesn't like Saturday? Sunday is a day for family and gatherings and just slowing down. And then there's Monday. Poor Monday. But thank goodness it's Monday. Tomorrow morning, God has something special for you. I'll, I'll just give you a glimpse of what Monday looks like at our house. Me and my wife, we have a routine we like to get up before the kids are awake. I feel like there's something so sacred about the stillness and the quietness of the house before the kids wake up. Which means it's dark, and it's awesome, and you got your coffee, and it's amazing. But the kids start to rustle, and they get out of bed, and, and then it's a mad dash. You're pouring cereal. You're tracking down socks and shoes. You're cleaning out backpacks. You're getting snacks ready in, into backpacks. And before you know it, the whole family's out of the house by 745. And we're, we're going for We're on a mission. We're dropping kids off at schools. We're getting to work. Mondays for me here at the church is staff day. We get to spend a considerable amount of time together as a staff team. It's Kai Alpha and LifePoint. It's amazing. I love Mondays. If it's a really good Monday, we get a meal together as a family that evening around the table, nothing better than that. And then Monday is Life Group Day. That's right. That is a shameless plug for Life, life Groups, our Life Groups on Monday nights. And it's amazing doing life with others. And before you know it, 10, 10, 30 rolls around. Me and my wife are kissing each other goodnight, and the day is done. Monday, as you kind of zoom through Monday, you realize the week is on. The week has begun. It has started. It kind of just flies by. The buildup from the weekend, the buildup from everything you've missed at work, it's, it's upon you when you get to work. And before you know it, 10, 1030 rolls around. For some of you, maybe midnight. And you're like, wow, where did the day go? I believe God wants to begin working in your lives in a greater degree on Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, throughout the week, every single day. So here's our main idea for this morning. I believe Monday captures really the essence of that which is mundane and regular and normal. And Jesus wants the gospel, the good news that he displayed to us 2,000 years ago, he wants that to mean something for the mundane. So how we live out the mundane reveals the reality of our relationship with God. I strongly believe that. How we live out the mundane is a great barometer, it's a great gauge for the actual substance of our faith. We can say a lot of things of what we believe, doctrinally, credibly, in our minds, mentally, but the real stuff of it is revealed Monday morning. And as the day zooms by, the substance of your relationship with God, the substance of your faith is revealed at the end of the day. It's a great barometer, and I want us to see that this morning. I'm convinced that Jesus came to influence our day to day life, not just Sunday. Jesus was constantly calling us to action here and now. Yes, He did purchase for you an eternity. We talk about that a lot here. He did come to, and He does care about your eternal destiny. This life is but a vapor. But he did also redeem your here and now. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's here and now. The kingdom of heaven is both here and it is future. It's now. It it elicits a response now. It It calls us to action now. He said, take up your cross on Sunday. Take up your cross when Paige sings that amazing worship song. No, he says, take up your cross daily. That means Monday. That means Tuesday. That means Wednesday. Take up your cross daily and come follow me it's every single day it it is a lifestyle he says seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you in the context of that passage in Matthew chapter 6 is in the context of working for money working to put uh, clothes on our back food in our stomach those are the things that this world chases after and he says seek first the kingdom." And his righteousness and all those other things will be added unto you. That, is a, that, that translates directly to Monday morning. The main focus and purpose of your Mondays. Jesus speaks into that. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be given to you. That's Monday. The things that you face. So let's look at Romans chapter 12. We're just going to read two verses this morning. Here's the context of Romans chapter 12 because Romans is a dense book. I mean, it is the scholars consider the most robust uh, letter of Paul's theologically regarding the gospel. It just clearly lays out the gospel over 16 chapters, really 15 chapters because the last chapter is all goodbyes and greetings. But in chapters 1 through 3, Paul really lays out the brokenness that we find ourselves as we're brought into this world, the, the depravity of humanity. Three through five is, is really God's gift of grace. The good news of Jesus laid out for us. Six through eight, Romans six through eight. Then Paul begins to dial that into the inner workings of the Christian life and what it means to then walk in relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Nine through 11. Kind of dumbfound some, but Paul then zooms out in Romans nine through 11. And he gives all these believers, most of the Roman church was non-Jewish believers, but there were also Jewish believers in the Roman church. And he kind of zooms out for a moment in Romans 9 through 11. And he says, this is God's redemptive story brought to us through the nation of Israel. And you you as Gentile believers, non-Jewish believers, you've been grafted into God's redemptive story that he brought about through this obscure nation, the nation of Israel. And then we find ourselves coming to Romans chapter 12. 12 through 15, really, is the real practical uh, piece of this, of this letter. Yes, understand that. That's all the foundation, 1 through 11. And then we get to Romans chapter 12, and he, he's now calling us to respond. He's calling us to action, and he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let, they, let, let them be living and holy sacred. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So he lays, lays out theologically the story of God's redemptive story, the good news of Jesus. Then he gets to chapter 12, and he says, and so, some translations say, therefore, there should be a response in light of what Jesus has done for us. And he says, I plead with you. As adults, there's not, it's not too often that we plead with one another. We'd have to be in pretty, a pretty desperate place to come to someone and begin pleading with them. But some, some translations say, I, I appeal to you. He is making a, a passionate appeal to these believers, wanting them to get it. And this morning, I, I simply stand before you pleading with you to understand that gospel means something more than just Sundays. More than songs we sing. More than beliefs you believe up here. It's, it's meant to influence your Mondays. And I plead with you to just open up your heart to that reality. If you're a parent in this place, you're really familiar with pleading. Pleading. Because kids, they're really, they are really—they come into this world just knowing how to negotiate. And our, our, at our house, we're trying to curb that right now. Like Things are not negotiable. When we tell you to do something, or sometimes we're even so kind to ask them to do something, that, that means they should respond, and it's not up for negotiation. But as adults, we don't plead very often. Paul here, he is, he's pleading with them. He wants them to get it. What does he want them to get? He, he wants them to to come to this place, this burning conviction in their hearts where they're willing to give their bodies, their very physical selves before the Lord. This is a holy and living sacrifice, fully acceptable to the Lord. He wants them to give their their physical selves before the Lord. He's speaking to mostly a non-Jewish audience, but still, they understood the old covenant way of sacrifices, and so he uses that illustration of, of, of Old Testament sacrifices. In the old covenant, if if somebody was coming to offer a sacrifice to the Lord, they'd bring this this, uh, offering before the priest. They'd lay their hand on it. The priest would lay their hand on it. And this person was, was offering all title, all interest. They're surrendering all that over to the priest. So new covenant, we come before our great high priest, Jesus. There's now no mediator between God and man except for Jesus Christ. We come and we bring our sacrifice, which is... Our lives, our physical selves, our bodies, we lay it before Jesus. We place our hand on it. And we say, it's yours, God. I, I surrender all interest, all title. It's, it's yours, God. Why does God care about that? Why does God care about your bodies and the physical selves? Sometimes we, we wish it, it weren't so. We wish it just kind of was a nice little tidy box in our lives. We can come on Sunday morning. We can check a box. That's not what he calls us to here he calls us to actually surrender our physical bodies. Our physical bodies were here even before you encountered Christ. We're three parts. We're body, soul, and spirit. Our body and our soul, they were full and alive before we encountered Christ. There was a third part of us, our spirit, which was dormant, which was empty. It was void. Until you encounter the love of Christ, you surrender your life to Jesus, you you, you, you recognize that he is the solution for your sin issue, Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. That third part of who you are, your spirit comes alive. becomes the most dominant reality, but, the, but there is still another reality at work, which is that your body and your soul are still there. And that is the process then of becoming more and more like Christ, to see your, your physical body and your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, come into submission to your spirit over a lifetime to walk in more Christ-likeness. So God cares about your body. It's not separated from your spiritual life. He says this is true worship. I, I talked a little bit about worship earlier, but this is, this is another reason I'm, I'm really passionate about physical expressions of worship. Because every time I raise my hands or get on my knees or clap my hands or every once in a while I'll even dance or jump, not too often, but when I do those things, I am, I am drawing my physical self into an expression of worship and adoration. That my spirit man is, is fully declaring. But sometimes my physical body doesn't want to say that. And I'm, 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 it's an act of worship to physically be involved in worship outwardly. And, and I would just encourage you to move beyond worship being a, uh, just for those that, that like music. that are really good at music. Worship is for everyone. And this means worship is for you. Because you can can offer your physical self to God Monday morning before you go to work. He cares about about your physical world, your physical self. That's worship to him when you actually offer it to him. Say, God, it's yours. Let this be a sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. But then we get to the real meat of this passage in in verse 2. This is really what I want to key in on. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. A vast, vast majority of people I hang out with, they want to know God's will for their life. How many people in this, in this place want to know God's will for your life? Of course, especially when it's described as good, pleasing and perfect. He's like, yes. Yeah, sign me up for that. I want to know God's will for my life. Well, he says that's available to us as we allow God to transform us. through, the, through First of all, through changing the way we think. So that may sound peculiar because he says, let God. That's right. Let God transform you. Last I checked, he was creator God Sovereign, the 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 final authority over all, and Paul here is saying, yeah, yeah, that's right. Let God. It sounds like my like my kids giving me permission to do something. It's like, hey, this is my house. But this is so in line with God's character and His nature. He is so adamant and consistent in this regard that He's about relationship. And so, yeah, in our home, sometimes, sometimes our parenting is a matter of behavior modification. But if you're a parent in this place, and there's any small amount of decency in your heart, you know that your real intention for your kids is for them to get it at a heart level, not to just modify the behavior for a moment, right? There are moments when it's just survival mode. It's like, no, just behave. <laughs> but hopefully you can have a follow-up conversation and, and bring them to the why, why this is important. That's true parenting, it's parenting to the heart, shepherding the heart. So it is with God. He wants your heart. He doesn't want just an outward facade. So there is a sense of letting God. It's you saying, okay God, I submit to the program. I wanna be transformed. He doesn't twist your arm. He doesn't put you in this vice until you say mercy. He gives grace to the humble. And when you put yourself before, before God and say, okay, God, I want to be transformed. I want to be different. I want to be changed deeper into your likeness. God is so attracted to that. And so he says transformation happens by changing the way we think. And like I said earlier, our mind is part of who we were before Christ. Our mind was there, fully at work, all sorts of memories and recollections, of the old way of life. Then you encounter Christ, you encounter his goodness. Your spirit comes alive, but your mind is still there. Now there's, you know, there's BC, and, and then after your encounter with Christ, and your mind recalls both worlds, and a huge part of our transformation comes through our minds coming to submission to the spirit, and changing the way we think. And as he begins to do that in your life, as you begin to allow your, your thinking to change, you'll begin to see that translate to your Monday mornings. Instead of Mondays being the day you dread, you'll begin to see them slightly differently. You begin to see your coworkers differently. You'll begin to recognize opportunities. You'll begin to see those small things that you can be thankful for. You'll begin to recognize the presence of God. You'll begin to sense a joy and a peace that you didn't recognize earlier. All those things come through a transformed mind, a renewed mind. So very quickly, there's two ways in which God wants to change our thinking. First of all, God wants to change the way you think about him. We talked a little bit about this last week. Our guest, who's my brother, Tony, he talked, and he used that that quote by Tozer. that says one of the most important things about us is the thoughts that come to our mind when we think about God. That is actually one of the, the greatest indicators, greatest barometers of, of truly what we believe is, or truly the, the substance of our life is when we, when we dial it down to what we believe about God. If you believe God is distant and indifferent, you begin to see that reflected in your life through this apathy and lethargy, this boredom with, with God if you think that God is unpredictable and angry, you'll see that in this constant insecurity and lack of assurance in your walk with Jesus. If you think of God as some, you know, pushover, grandpa that's only benevolent, you'll begin to see that in your sloppy lifestyle. No discipline, no fervor that translates to any fruit. So what we think about God matters And that is the pathway to transformation. One of the keys to transformation is God, us allowing God to change the way we think about him. And that is a lifetime of discovery. It's inexhaustible. You can spend a lifetime just discovering that God is love. That he is love. He is the essence of love. There is no other expression of love on this planet that equates, that equals the love of God. You can spend a lifetime being corrected and channeled into the reality of God's love, that God is holy, that he is set apart. There are some of God's creation that literally the only thing that they are ever able to express is the fact that God is set apart and that he is worthy, that there is none like him, that he is in in need of no one, that he is fully set apart, that he is holy, that God is merciful, that he is kind, those are aspects of who God is and His nature that He wants to draw you into that actually impact the way you live. When you come to not just an expression of them through your words, but an actual belief set that forms, that, that actually affects the way you see the world. So, the second way God wants to change your thinking is God wants to change the way you think about yourself. He wants to change the way you think about yourself. And as you let God transform you in that way, you'll begin to see a transformation in your Mondays. God's transformation of the, of the way that you think about yourself is not a, a self-help positivity program. It's not self-esteem. Self-esteem is, is rooted in self. It's a god esteem purchase through the work of Jesus Christ, that he adopted you as sons and daughters, that he, he bought you with a, with a high price, that you're invaluable. Your life is seen th- through uh, the value that Jesus placed on your life. On the cross, and then conquering death and rising from the dead. As you begin to see the value and the price of your life through the lens of Jesus... Not in a worldly way, but through the lens of Jesus, it transforms the way way you live your Mondays. All of a sudden, a lack of purpose is replaced with a a burning purpose to make the most of today. Like today is one of the days that God has given me. Monday is not exempt. I'm going to do something with today. A mentor and friend in my life boldly spoke into my life at a time that I was going through a lot of, of difficult trials. Her name is Joy Schroeder, and she, she spoke in my life, and she called me out. She said, Drew, I, I believe you're dealing with some insecurities. And so oftentimes we're familiar with our insecurities. When somebody else calls you out, that's like a little close to home. And she said, Drew, anytime you sense insecurity in your life, you can know that you've reached the end of your understanding of the love of God. That brought me to my knees. That's right. Anytime I sense that just that tinge of insecurity, I've reached the limit of my understanding of the love of God towards me. That's the way God wants to transform your thinking. You reach these limits, and you, you, you kind of stumble over the same uh, roadblocks in life, and it draws you towards God, and he begins to transform the way you see yourself in light of what he's done for you. It draws you towards him in intimacy. Intimacy. And it, began, it begins to translate to our Monday mornings. I'm going to call Paige Ford, and we're going to end. As I was preparing, as I was preparing this week, I, I couldn't help but walk down a hallway that for myself I call the Hall of Fame in my own life. People that I greatly respect that kind of, they herald that sort of like just respect and reverence in my life. People that I that have greatly influenced me, and you should all have a hall of fame for for yourself. People that have just spoke into your life, they've poured into your life, they've influenced you in a way. It's your cloud of witnesses. It's your the people cheering you on. As I begin to think through the, the hall of fame for my life, it's people like this guy named Ron Sunquist. Ron Sunquist worked as a, a furniture delivery guy with my dad when my dad was was a young father of four kids pretty new believer, and Ron Ron, Ron and my dad, they would drive in the delivery truck, and Ron was a true friend of my dad on Mondays. They'd talk about life, they'd talk about parenting and, and marriage, they'd pray together. For Ron, Christianity wasn't just Sunday mornings. It meant something to him as a furniture delivery guy. They became lifelong friends. And after my mom passed away, they became like adoptive parents. Spent many, many nights sleeping on their living room couch. I, th- I think of others. I think of the, the individual I named earlier, Joy Schroeder and her husband Dick Schroeder. Dick is one of those guys I've spent a considerable amount of time with. And as I've just walked in the comings and goings of life with Dick, I realize everywhere he goes, he just deposits he leaves a place better than when he arrived. He just deposits the good news of Jesus anywhere he goes, and it's not in a preachy way. He just glows with the love of God, and he was brought to mind even this week as we were. I was going for a walk with my family down around Ada Hayden on the bike path, and out of the blue, we hadn't seen Dick for a year now. But my my daughter, my oldest daughter Lucy, she brought up Dick and she said, "Do you think Dick remembers me?" Literally, it was out of the blue. We weren't talking about Dick. She's like, do you think Dick remembers me? I was like, oh, I'm sure of it. And he talks about you. But Dick and Lucy, they went for a walk around Ada Hayden. And, she, and he left a legitimate um, just deposit in my daughter's life. They went for like a two-mile walk around the loops at Ada Hayden. But he so carried the love of God, so carried the presence of Jesus, that even little kids are marked by his, by his life. That's more than a pulpit ministry. That's a Monday morning ministry. I think of another individual named Ron. i got two Rons in my hall of fame. Ron Weiss is a custodian by day, lover of Jesus 24-7. He's led more people to Jesus than I, than to anybody I know. But Ron Weiss, he sees his, one of the highest callings of his life is to be that of a prayer warrior, intercessor. And he cleans toilets and mops floors at a manufacturing plant. And he loves Jesus. He leads these guys to Christ. He, he brings them to church. He does ministries in the jails and prisons. And when you hang out with Ron, this guy's 40, at least 40 years, probably 50 years older than I am now. He always has an encouraging word to the younger generation. With either a beaming smile on his face or tears running down his face, he, is, he is, has no lack in emotion. Which I think is a sign of the vibrancy of life that's experienced in Jesus Christ. And as I walk down my hall of fame, person after person after person, what I realize a common denominator of all of them is that their faith, their relationship with God, translates to the weekdays, to Mondays. I wasn't wooed by their awesome preaching or their knowledge only up here of the Word of God but it was real substance in their walk with Jesus that made a mark on my life. And I want that for every single person in this place, Lifestyle Christianity. It translates to Monday morning. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes in this place, I want us to respond to Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.